come in on the second mockingbird. I couldn't thing. tell what I couldn't tell what verse you were singing because you I slipped between Diamond Ring and Mockingbird. Yeah, all right. That, 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 that was my fault. But welcome back everybody to the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack. I'm Andrew. And I'm just uh, making sure I have one more level. Okay, so uh, we should actually uh, normally we have a little bit of preamble, but this week we have a lot of movies to talk about. So we're gonna get into it, guys. We're gonna do our two-minute movie mile. All right, so, Jack. Since you see more movies than me all the time, and this week is no exception, well, we'll get started with you. Okay. Ready, set, go. All right. So this is already on its way out, but I'm gonna start with uh, Steve Jobs. All right. All right. So Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. My favorite German strong-chinned actor, man. German Irish actor. Whatever. Yeah, and here, um, I, I think one of he's really Irish too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he uh, like he actually, I think his accent in the X Men movies is closer to how he actually sounds. But anyway, um, in this movie you get uh Danny Boyle um directing Aaron Sorkin. Uh, it's much more Aaron Sorkin than Danny Boyle though. Hmm. Um, you know, lots of walk and talk, lots of uh characters having like intense you know conversations that kind of build and build. Um, in this, uh, it's an interesting approach because, uh, it's not the typical bi biographic, uh, format. Um, it, it takes place in three separate time periods, um, with maybe like one or two little flashbacks. Um, and I actually, I like the movie quite a bit. It's not, it's not great. Uh, but I feel bad that the movie, like not enough people really went out and saw it. Hmm. Uh, I mean, again, I'm not super, I'm not a super big steve jobs apple guy uh i do like that the movie points out more than once that uh for a long time apple computers have had a lot of limitations uh it's like they actually don't skirt that issue the fact that uh you know pcs have always been kind of superior because uh you know a lot of apple computers are contained and you have to get software for apple computers yeah um, but i mean we've already had a, a steve jobs movie that is true. We and that's not Ashton Kutcher. right. And that wasn't long ago. No. So you know, in the end, why should people see another Steve Jobs well, movie? Well, for this one, what's great, and to sum it up, is the acting. Again, Fassbender, but also Kate Winslet is phenomenal. Seth Rogen, he is a really good dramatic actor. See him if nothing else. Time. Yeah. All right. So now we have Andrew up. That and. Uh, Oh. All right, meet Dave. Oh. You saw this because of the I Was There 2 episode. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, this is uh, directed by Brian Robbins, uh, starring Eddie Murphy, yes. in in kind of a period when he was do did a slew of movies that just bombed. Yes. And this one uh, is co-written by Bill Corbett of Mystery Science Theater. I've heard, yeah, that was one of the things that surprised me when I was watching that episode. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's uh when you when you know that you can see obviously yeah this is definitely one of the same guys who did mystery science theater because it has a lot of the sci-fi humor that was in that series although this time it gets its own feature film it's not bad is did it, does it feel like corbett's humor might have been dumbed down a little not necessarily i say i think if this film has a flaw it's in the directing there's hmm. something about the pace that it, it kind of it, it's kind of stretched out a bit so the lines don't come as fast as they should and uh the timing is a little uh loose right you know w with there are a lot of good lines in this film but you know they should be coming much faster you know 
line, 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 and that and it should uh, it should have a greater speed. It's a little uh, languid in that way, but it's still a funny movie. Eddie Murphy is oh, it, uh, he's pretty bizarre in this one, but pretty endearing as well. Yeah, it wasn't it's not a bad yeah, performance. Yeah, so the concept is that di- it shows different parts of his, like different uh, Eddie, parts of his body are controlled Eddie by Murphy. His ma- his character is he's the captain of a spaceship that's shaped like a human being, which looks like <laughs> Eddie Murphy. So he's both playing the ship and he's playing the little captain inside, and uh, it's kind of a quirky movie. Mm. I don't think it's deserved to be overlooked like it did, but it's and it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. well, just like a solid fun movie. All right, in three seconds, how is Paul Shear as the anus? Oh, that's that's a long story. time. Okay. Yeah. If you want to check out more about that, by the way, there's this podcast called I Was There Too, uh, where um, actors are interviewed about having kind of walk on small roles in movies. I listen to that podcast all the time, and I I just have to watch the movies before I listen to them. So, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no point for me. Yeah, sure. All right, Jack, you're back up again. Mm hmm. Ready, set, yeah. go. Uh, speaking of I Was There Too, I uh, saw Halloween. The 1978 Halloween again. Right. Because uh, PJ Souls was just on that show. Uh, you know, of course, this is what I say is the best slasher movie of all time. Oh, do you know? Yeah. Like, uh, everything, I could... that, everything that's come after it, I think, is has been a pale imitation of Halloween. It is pretty much to slasher movies what Night of the Living Dead is to zombie movies. Yeah. You can basically say uh, that. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, comparison. It's where a lot of it comes from. Although, a lot, some, there are some horror people say Black Christmas technically started, but... I haven't seen that, so I and can't And Black Christmas compare. is not very good, so... Oh, okay, good really, to know that. It, it, All right, yeah. but All right, the point is, though, seeing this movie on the big screen um, is kind of... It should be a must for any horror fan at some point in your life. Uh, you notice... You get... Actually, I, I found myself actually getting even more involved uh, in just, like, the direction of the movie than I have ever been at home. I think a lot of times when I watched this movie when I was younger, the movie was... Uh, you know, it, it was in full screen, so you don't really get the full dimension of it. Here, I noticed a lot more how much Carpenter just takes his time with characters kind of waiting or looking at things in that scene where Jamie Lee Curtis goes to the house and then finds all of her friends are dead. Yeah. Um, you know, like that's, that, that that's scene. a shot that like it takes a few minutes, but it's actually you're building in time and the music is that uh, John Carpenter great stuff. Um I wish I'd seen it on actual film, like the way that it was presented. It was not best quality, but point is, it's at, and at times it's kind of a funny movie. Donald Pleasance has some good moments. Uh, there's like a scene where he's he kind of is waiting around Michael Myers' house because uh, Michael Myers is gonna come home, and he kind of t- like these kids come up to almost go in the house, and he's like, "Hey, kids, get your asses out of there," or something like that. Um, yeah, go see it. It's John Carpenter's seminal movie for a reason. Time. Yeah. All right. Halloween. Yeah. Now it's after the fact because now it's November. Okay. Um. Go ahead. The Sentinel. Which there are this multiple one, movies. This is this the Michael Sentinel. Douglas one? No. This is. There are a few movies. All is right. this a horror movie? This is a horror movie. Okay. With a t- a great cast. It's got uh, Jose Ferrer, John Carradine, Jeff Goldblum in an early appearance. Uh, Burgess Meredith is in it. So this is uh, very 70s. Jerry Orbach from Law & Order. You right. probably recognize him. Yeah. So tell me what and this is. Eli Wallach and Christopher Walken as cops. Oh, my God. I know. You just great. sold me on the last one. 
Okay, so what's and this it's movie? It's another horror film that takes place in apartments. A woman gets this apartment in New York, uh, that and weird stuff is happening, and there is this film is really awkward. Oh, in what way? It's got awkward <clears throat> flashbacks to really strange things that happened in the character's life that really just make you laugh. Okay. And it's got awkward gore, which is this, like, when there's this one gory scene that happens, and you realize, and it's obviously claymation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 70s, claymation. Oh, but, uh, and then there are these dream sequences that don't make a lot of sense either. Okay. And even though there's so much this film gets wrong... It's still never boring. Okay. It's, you're like, all right, how are they going to trip themselves up next? So is it kind of unintentionally funny? Yeah, it's pretty unintentionally funny. And it, and it ramps up the horror uh, pretty well towards the end. Uh, but there's still a lot of things that in it that don't make a lot of sense. Hmm. Uh, Was this like... Uh, see, I, I, I maybe have vaguely heard of this movie. Does it have any memorable set pieces? The ending where we finally realize what exactly is going on is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Anything else to say? Uh, aside from Christopher Walken. Oh, Ava Gardner, who was in another movie, uh, who was in Nights and Roundtable. She's in this movie, too. Time. All right. Ava Gardner. Oh, boy. Whew. I imagine she's prob she probably didn't look best for wearing that. All uh, right. No, I'm well. not going to blame a person it's for okay. getting older. All right. All right, let's go right. on. All right, uh, let's go. <laughs> uh, the Peanuts movie. All right. Um, I was debating whether or not to see this. Uh, so, did you like whether it'd be worth my time? Did you like Peanuts movies growing up, like the cartoons? Yeah, I love the comics trip. Okay, I've I've read the comic strip here and there. Uh, the movies I, I had, was, I uh, have books books full of uh, Peanuts comics. This is extremely faithful to the spirit of Charles Schultz. It's like one of the. This movie is uh, commendable, if nothing else, for not s screwing up what could have been easily screwed up. Yeah. I mean, this could have been Alvin the Chipmunks all over again, or uh, <laughs> or even Garfield or something. Um, you know, the the studio that animated this, uh, Blue Sky Studios, they've also done uh, Ice Age and certain movies like that. But what's great is that they have this kind of hybrid style of 3D and 2D animation, in a way. Like, even though I guess technically the movie's being presented in 3D, the, the character designs, they all just look like the Peanuts. Right. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, Charlie Brown in this movie is just, his storyline is just so, you know, you feel so much for him. That's what I love about his his stories. Is he's, like, he's always been endearing, even as, even though he's uh, he's often called a loser. Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's what's relatable. I mean, if you've ever had, you know, like maybe for me, I don't know, maybe for some of you out there, if you've ever had that feeling where you don't feel good enough and you don't feel like... All know, the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what this movie touches upon. This time, the, the, you know, he's there's a new girl in town. You know, how am I going to talk to her? So that's what the movie is for him. One little thing that I was kind of like, oh, this is okay. They keep kind of cutting the Snoopy has kind of a subplot with yeah. uh, as in flying the Red Baron or whatever it is. Uh, that one that uh, that that's fun, but it's not as compelling as uh, Charlie Brown's story, which has certain jokes like, um, you know, you're gonna read the best book ever, Leo's Toy Store by War and Peace. Time. Ah, you have no reaction to that at all. I'm disappointed. I didn't have time for it. I'm sorry. Uh, Leo's Toy Store, man. All right. I, I tried. I tried. Um, okay. So, um, Scooby-Doo-Bop-Bop. Scooby-Doo-Bop-Bop. Scooby-Doo-Bop-Bop-Bop. Okay. 
And go. Uh, Little Nemo, Adventures in Slumberland. You know, I feel like I might have seen this when I was a kid. I it's always possible. remember. I always remember there... seeing the videotape because it had like the kid in the bed and yeah. it was flying around. Their history is littered with forgotten animated films. Yeah, this yeah. is one of them, mm. and for good reason. <laughs> but not good. There are. Some interesting little bits of trivia. Ray Bradbury contributed material to the story of this. Okay. And it was worked on by uh, Mo uh, Mobius. Oh, the Mobius yeah, of Joe Roski He did fame. some concept design uh, okay. for this film. And the the problem with this is that it essentially has no plot. Oh. Is it, like, episodic? Not really, because there okay. there is a vague sense of the plot, but only the vaguest sense of a plot. It's uh, scenes just kind of happen and they don't contribute to the oh. story. It's like, well, let's get this scene and this scene and they don't flow into each other or create any sort of meaningful or, or build tension or have much character development. Uh, it looks really nice. Mm. I have to say that. And even though the the film is meaningless, the characters at least aren't annoying. Okay. So you could like, this is probably like the ideal movie to put on in the background while you're like doing something at your desk or, or maybe while it, you're eating dinner. Or maybe if you have a kid, maybe this is an ideal movie to put on that, you know, a lot of a trouble with a lot of animated movies today. A lot of them are just really loud and obnoxious. Yeah, this is this is kind of loud, not too obnoxious, not annoying. You could get you could probably just like look up every once in a while to see what's mm. going on and you'd see some cool stuff. Uh, but really, it doesn't warrant being paid attention to too closely. Oh, OK. So you kind of drift in and out. It's not that heavy of a type of thing. Yeah. Oh, well, it's pretty light time. OK, well, there, there you go. That's Little Nemo and who gives a shit land. <laughs> All right. Next one. Uh, go. Um. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Charlie Brown because I watched A Boy Named Charlie Brown again because I was feeling very Charlie Brownie. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is Can you me, believe that there's a steakhouse called Charlie Brown's and they don't have a dessert called the Charlie Brownie? They did have a dessert called the Charlie Brownie. Oh, it's been, that must have been a long time ago. Well, they don't really have as many around here. There's like one Charlie Brown's in the area. But the point is, um, so this was the first Charlie Brown movie made a, a couple years after the specials started, which of course everyone knows the Christmas special and the, ho and the Halloween special. Right. This there is was the Thanksgiving special too, which I need to rewatch. Um, this is the story where, I don't know if you remember where Charlie Brown, uh, decides to try to build himself up by participating in the spelling bee. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is that. And you know, he goes off to New York to part you know, to compete in like the big spelling bee. Um, what's great about this movie is that, you know, you have that as kind of like the through line, but this movie, it's it's really great. It, it like it holds up for me just because of how experimental some of it is. At one point, right before they're about to do you know the baseball game, you know they do the national anthem, and all these weird shapes and colors are on the screen, <laughs> almost like early Sesame Street. And then uh, Schroeder gets like a set piece where he's just playing uh, a Beethoven suite. And it, it turns into, like, Yellow Submarine for five minutes. And I loved it. And then, of course, Snoopy ice skating in uh, Rockefeller Center. That's probably, like, one of my favorite animated scenes of all time, I think. 
it's great that you're mentioning this because I saw this a long time ago and I basically remember nothing. It's on YouTube but, if you want to check it out again. But I do remember what happens after the climax. Oh and man, the long, famous line. Not no, not even that. I remember the like, long the ride long home. Ride home. Yeah, where Charlie Brown is just watching stuff and he's just slumping in his seat more and more. And yeah. this has one of the great like lines from Linus. Time, so to speak. Lines from Linus. That's that should be a blog. Uh, you're, it's yes, and you should write it. I'll lend you all my Charlie Brown comics. Can I just say can what the line? The best. Co- I'll just lines. say what the line is. Do you know what the? You know what happened, Charlie Brown? What? The world didn't come to an end. <laughs> That's the famous line from that movie. I'm gonna expect to see this blog soon, Jack. Lines from Linus. I, I will do it. This will be like uh, when you watch John Oliver's show. You heard it uh, here first, people. Lines from Linus, the new blog from the Wages of Cinema. Jack and Andrew. <laughs> co-wrote it yeah we're gonna make it uh pretty awesome i mean well there might be some days where you just see linus being like my blanket (laughs) we're going on hiatus (laughs) all right okay ready go the phantom of liberty got around to it finally good all right so (laughs) this is a this is a unique little movie yeah and i realized after watching this that i feel like if louis buñuel had grown up in england he would have just become a sketch writer. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, like, this is very Monty Python. In in in, in Buñuel, I feel like there's a sketch writer just claw, trying to claw its way out of his of his uh, Spanish upbringing. Well, and that's well, that's there what are this great is. setups for scenes like the police academy, where all the police officers are throwing spitballs at, yeah. at each other and and messing around while the teacher's back is turned. One of the scenes I I remember from this is kind of early on, where the parents are looking really shocked at like something that their son did, and it's just like a postcard. Oh, they're the photographs. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And then, of course, the, the you know, everyone at dinner sitting on the toilets. Yeah. Which is just, that's an image that you, you just don't forget. In uh, the difference between this, though, and sketches is that sketches build up to some sort of punchline. These just flow into each other without any sort of climax. Well, yeah, well, that's also, I mean, Monty Python kind of did that, too. They would just sometimes do things to be silly. Yeah. You know, this is being silly, but also anarchic, if that's a way to put it. Yeah. Um, like what were well, so? What were some of your moments that really stood out for you? The one that stood out for me this time, because I have seen this before, is towards the end where the police commissioner, the the prefect of police, he gets calls from his dead sister. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. and he and she tell and she offers uh, to teach him something, uh, and he's like, "Learn the true mystery of death tonight." And in true Buñuel fashion, as soon as he gets there to confront his dead sister, he gets pulled away and thwarted. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's still kind of creepy. Buñuel does creepy pretty well. Time. All right. That that for sure. Like, actually, as a side note, there's that whole thing in Discreet Charm with Bourgeoisie where, like, there are ghosts in that movie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he he's. I think I, I said that last time we recorded. Buñuel does creepy pretty well. Yeah, yeah. That that's sketches what, and creepy. That's well, that's the thing in like *Discreet Charm* bourgeoisie. I wasn't sure what to expect watching that movie, but I didn't expect to be like simultaneously laughing and haunted at the same time. All right, your turn. Okay, go. Uh, Spectre. Okay, so latest 007. Um, what do you want to know about this? I want to know if uh, Christoph Waltz does a great job. He does a very good job. 
He's not really in the movie enough. Okay, I want to know if he, that's that's uh, I and I, I don't know if that's by design, if that's just if that was intentional, if he really he, he could have been in this movie more and it might have helped, even if like maybe there had been a little bit of setup maybe early on with him. He just pops up like <coughs> in the last half hour mm-hmm. and when he shows up. I mean, he's basically <coughs> like, um, you know, Hans Landa as a Bond villain. I mean, he is. Spoilers, Blofeld, um, which I kind of hate that that I almost have to say it like that because the movie sets it up like you remember Star Trek in the Darkness. Yeah, this like, is a little bit like the Star Trek in the Darkness of Bond films, where okay, we know he's Khan. Say he's Khan. Yeah. God, I hate when they do that. And just like with Into Darkness, this actually opens really well. The opening of Spectre is in large part like this one long shot of Bond going into a building and setting up this whole thing. Uh, I mean, it's a fun movie. It's just that after, you know, you hit such a high with Skyfall and this, that was my next question. Is it, is it better than Skyfall? No, it's not, not, not as I'd put this third in, in the Daniel Craig movies better than quantum of solace. But, I mean, if you go in this movie just looking for a fun movie, then you'll get that. I think part of the problem, too, is that you're kind of seeing a clash between, you know, this James Bond with Daniel Craig. It's a, supposed to be a very serious James Bourne era Bond. But they're also having some really goofy stuff here, too. And wow. stuff that's almost like throwbacks to the Connery era Bond, which was fine then. Maybe not as fine now. Time. Okay. As a side note, it's very pretty. Like me. Yes, like you. That's why I'm on podcasts. You can't see my face. He he sounds pretty. He he'll he'll narrate your dreams if you ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. That was weird. Alright, ready and go. Alright. I want to know. Have you seen Picnic at Hanging Rock? Um I have seen a little bits here and there. I've not seen the full movie. Okay. Picnic at Hanging Rock is one of the best experiences i've had this year watching a film really first of all i got i got the dvd it was like an old criterion copy like when criterion was like a baby uh-huh. <laughs> and uh it comes in this old case but i and i had heard really interesting things about this film i hear it's kind of enigmatic yeah very enigmatic that it's that it's a really interesting horror film that's what i heard Oh really? Okay. Yeah, and I hear it was more like a mis- like a drama mystery type of thing. It it is, but this is one of those films that is in that weird crack between genres. Okay. Where like between thriller and mystery <coughs> and horror, where you can't even classify it because it's not like blood everywhere and people dying and ghosts. But on this, at the same time, the mystery of this is so eerie that it's horrifying. Hmm. It's about four girls who go on a picnic in Australia at a place called Hanging Rock, and they disappear. Hmm. And I don't mean like they get lost; they disappear. So almost like, uh, and you see, uh, and you see them disappear. They walk between two rocks, and they're gone. They're hmm. gone. <laughs> So this is even more enigmatic. This is like uh, taking Antonioni and going another step. Yeah. Again, I know you haven't seen La Ventura, but... Um, okay, so was it just kind of how it was blending the the genres that made it captivating? No, it was basically the aftermath of, of, that, of that event. It's like 
it, it's that weird thing of soul horror where like you know something terrible has happened in your heart and you just can't take it at all time i wish i could say more about this. well I'm, i i could tell you can but that's that's the system we've developed ah. uh I, I should check that out sometime I, I like pure weir quite a bit i mean you know this you know the truman show witness yeah oh and fearless yeah yeah so he he's a good director all right all right go um our brand is crisis uh this is a movie which also like steve jobs is already kind of on its way out there are some movies right now for adults that just it's kind of weird there they're having trouble finding their audiences and adults are a drag man i know i want to be a toys r us kid yeah still yeah anyway um what you get with this movie, this is based on real events. There's actually a documentary that came out years ago that's on the same subject. Um, basically, it's about this uh, political consultant, uh, played by Sandra Bullock, and she's uh, kind of not really doing much. She's sort of trying to lay low. She sometimes has some kind of depressive problems. But she's sort of drafted by this group to come down to... Oh, God, I'm going to mess up this. It's either Chile or guatemala it, it's some country in south america and i know there are probably people a lot of people are gonna like kill me i think guatemala is in central america uh it's some country latin america yeah latin america um they're trying to elect this president who is kind of like a dolt he's he actually was president before but he's running again um and you know they decide you know what we can't really make positive with this guy so we're gonna go negative you know <laughs> we're gonna make this a negative campaign but we're gonna make use people's fear to get you elected so it's kind of a you know very cynical movie which is cool um near the end it gets a little soft i felt it kind of i'm not gonna say it wussies out but it could have been a little stronger maybe a little funnier there are some funny parts of this movie um spoiler alama may get uh hilariously killed at one point uh, uh billy bob thornton is in the movie too he and sandra bullock actually are kind of the highlights of the movie in a way because like billy bob thornton was like his ex like they're they were kind of once political consultants together but he's like sort of on top and she's on the bottom and so there's this constant like yeah i'm gonna be really snidey right now time sort of thing <coughs> not enough billy bob thornton in this world okay uh go OSS 117, Lost in Rio. Oh, yeah. So you saw the uh, other one uh, a while back, right? Yeah. I saw Cairo Ness of Spies a few months ago. I loved it. Wait, wait. So what, the Lost in Rio. Yeah. So this is the second one. How? Um, so this is another kind of spy spoof type of thing, right? Yeah. Except it's a lot better than most spy spoofs. Uh, the thing I love, of course, about OSS 117 is that he's a really good spy, but not as charming as he thinks he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always uh maybe in a sense that's a little bit like uh archer in a small way yeah uh he's actually uh <laughs> john dujardine by the way is the uh the main guy yeah and uh, this is basically more of the same okay nothing uh to nothing that goes beyond what happened in Cairo Nessa spies i don't know if uh it's been a while since i've seen Cairo Nessa spies but uh Maybe it's because I saw that one first and I thought that one was a little, little better. It was a little fresher in my mind. Okay, so here's a question I could ask you then. Uh, how does it compare to uh, like the Austin Powers movies? I've never seen an Austin Powers movie. Get out! No, I'm kidding. No, it's fine. At some point, this you, podcast you really... is over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, put the mic down. Um, okay, but I don't know. But you've seen maybe a spy spoof at some point in your life. 
aside I, from this? Yeah, probably. Like a Pink Panther movie? No. <laughs> All right. Now we're just getting into dangerous. All right. So anything like memorable that you want to mention? The, about uh, the last, the ending is a basically a Hitchcock pastiche. Nice. Uh, not bad. So it's like making fun of like him using big statues and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's good. I always like using statues. But this film is still funny, even if it's not original anymore. That it's still uh, worth seeing. It has good gags, good sap, and payoff. Oh, rival assassins too. Oh, time. I forgot to mention the assassins. That's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking for the next uh, thing if I could uh, request actually a, uh, a daily double. No. No. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, All if right. these two movies go together, that's why I'm asking. All right, I'll All give right. you the daily double. <laughs> Ready, set, go. Okay, so these two movies are uh, both Val Luton movies, which I watched back to back on uh, the night before Halloween. On you know kind of funny? Movies. What's up? When you said Val Luton, I thought you meant I thought you said Lou Vinton or Will Vinton, the claymation guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, oh, huh, I I guess I could get them mixed up. Really. <laughs> That's just me. Go on. Will Vinton. I haven't thought of that kind of years. Um, yeah, so these were two movies which, uh, if any of you ever get the uh, the Val Luton box set, this is one of, uh, these are two of the movies that are included with that. Um, the first one that I'll talk about is called The Leopard Man. Um, this, uh, now there isn't a man who actually is in a leopard costume. Some of you may be disappointed by hearing that. Just like The Elephant Man is about half man, half elephant. Yeah, um, I think there. I mean, there are things to recommend this movie, and some things that keep it from being kind of a little less than what uh, um, Val Luton. Like I said, he was a producer, but his director on uh, Cat People was Jacques Tourneur. Uh I believe you've seen Cat People, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as you you know, and if you've seen that movie, basically what Val Luton got you know is known for today uh, is that he used basically B movie budgets to make you know, kind of high quality uh, horror movies, you know, movies that relied much more on watching characters, look, you know, looking for things, being stuck in a moment where, you know, things might be out there that they don't hear or see. And yeah. in this case, uh, basically what happens is a leopard gets loose near like the start of the film. And uh, early on, actually a, a lep like a leopard actually kills a woman. <laughs> um, huh. And, the way that it's staged, it's it's both kind of terrifying, but it's also a little distracting because, like, this w female character could easily live if, like, her mother just lets her into the house. And <laughs> even, you know, she's like, let me out, let me out. And it's actually really terrifying. Like, I was actually feeling really tense. But inside, this mother is just like, man, eh, I'm not going to let you in. And then you actually hear, ha, roar. And then she goes to the door. She's like, wait, what's that? <laughs> It's like you didn't respond before that, um, you know. And uh, I would say, like again, there, there are Old atmosphere. Waste their times. Yeah, I guess so. Atmosphere is what makes us drives this movie, and you know, just again, characters kind of just yeah, standing around, atmosphere. you know, looking around for things. When it actually deals with the plot in this movie, it's just kind of okay. Uh, like there's this actor named O'Keefe who is like trying to investigate who this leopard man is. And it turns out there is kind of another element, which I won't get into. Um, so among the Val Luton productions I've seen, this is probably my least favorite, but it's still good. It's still worth checking out in that group. 
The other movie is The Seventh Victim, which I don't have a lot of time to talk about, but this actually is really good. This is about like a cult of Satanists. Now, uh, the thing is, it's funny though, because in this cult of Satanists, there isn't really, um, I don't even know if they look that Satan-y. They're just kind of, it's just more like looking at a cult. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like a bunch of people in robes. Well, not even robes. They're just like in suits and they they're in like a have room. Robes. No. Um, the woman, like, cause what happens in this movie, um, Kim Hunter is, it's her screen debut. She's trying to look for her sister and her sister is under the grip of these Satanists. Um, the most, the, the greatest part of this movie is the last like 20 minutes when the, the sister is kind of, you know, walking around town and she's being followed or she thinks someone's after her. And then, you know, it just, it comes down to how, like, is she going to be killed or does she want to die? And so... Seventh victim rocked. That's right. all I could say. Ah, I wish I had more time, but that four minutes was enough. Okay, so thank you for that. Andrew. You're welcome. Very and anything repeat. to anything to help out. Buddy. Good help out. Good to support. You gotta support the team. Yeah, as Putty used to say. And you could support us too by going to our website <laughs> at. Good, good, good segue. High five. Thank you. High five for the segue. You can go to uh, iTunes. Subscribe to us. Write a review. Review will really help us out. Make us more visible. Yes. Rate us. Tell us how awesome we are. Not just for us, but for your fellow podcast listeners. Because yes. they like to know information. Also, go to our SoundCloud account. SoundCloud.com slash Voices yes. of Cinema. Yes. So if you're listening to us on iTunes, visit us on SoundCloud. If you're, if, or SoundCloud, visit on iTunes or one or the other. Hopefully that you're listening to us somehow. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, do subscribe and write a review. You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Wages of Cinema podcast. Uh, we also have a Twitter at Wages of Cinema, easy to find. Uh, we often post uh, extra little goodies and videos, uh, often connected with movies that we're talking about or our guests on the local vocal podcast. And uh, you can also email us, um, Wages of Cinema at gmail.com. And uh, we've actually gotten a little bit of feedback recently that was kind of cool. Actually, from Chile, of all places. Maybe that's why I was thinking of Chile in one of those other reviews. Or it was like... San Chile, you are always on our minds. Yeah, but we in actually... In our hearts. But we actually had somebody who recently was like... he. It wasn't even in like a main post. It was in like a comments thread on Facebook. And it was in another language, but it, it came up where he was recommending Probably movie podcasts. Spanish. Yeah, in Spanish. But we followed in, like, a sentence right after uh, somebody recommending how this get made. And so, thank you, Guy. Pedro, I think, is your first name. I don't remember your last name, but thank you, sir. Thank you, Pedro. <laughs> yeah, for all the Pedros out there. Okay, let's continue on with this, uh, the two-minute movie mile. Uh, you're listening to the Wage of Cinema podcast. Ready? Go. Uh, the Beyond, directed by Lucio Fulci. Okay, what did uh, what did you think of this movie? Because I, right. I actually I remember liking this quite a bit. There is one thing I will say that I like about Lucio Fulci. <clears throat> okay. He does not waste time. Yeah. Basically, five minutes after everything starts, a guy falls off a ladder, and then the deaths just keep happening at regular intervals. Right. The bad thing I will say about Lucio Fulci, he does not know how to get a script. <laughs> I I don't know. I found. I found that the story was pretty good from the beyond. It's <laughs> is it maybe the dialogue again? Maybe no, so, maybe I, it's I, translating. I'm not even worried about the dialogue here. I the plot. There is no tension in this film. 
because we have no idea what the stakes are, what we're really dealing with, if there's a villain or not, or what kind of malevolent forces we're dealing with. Like we I presume, felt like there were some malevolent forces. We find out eventually, like that the hotel this woman lives in is like a, one of the portals to hell, but we have no idea how like who wants it opened or if anybody wants it opened or how it works or what you have to do to open it up. None of that is, is talked about. Hmm. So it's like th- people get killed some very ridiculously, but then it's like, okay, so who cares? Why did that happen? Why is it important? It's just, uh, I think, well, well for me, I think part of this was the same reason why it's just kind of um, exhausting. I think that the imagery for me was kind of what held this up a lot for me because like with Argento, there's just a lot of like horrific atmosphere in this. I, but like Argento, that's not enough for me. Okay. I I can't, I can't just take, I just can't take the beyond based upon its gore or its imagery. It's not, it's, it's not enough. It needs to go beyond the beyond. Yes. Time. Like this Scorsese said about beyond the Valley of the Dolls beyond it. You have to go beyond it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. All right. So, right. right, I'm ready when you are. Okay. Um, deadly blessing. Uh, another horror movie uh, by your favorite guy, Wes Craven. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not. Um, I love Wes Craven as much as I love Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento. There you go. I folks. love you three to a certain extent. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is the this is known often as a, a horror movie that takes place in Amish country. Um, Ernest Borgnine. No electricity! Ah! It is pretty hard. Well, I, it's weird, though. Like, this really didn't use the Amish... <laughs> thing as much as i expected like there's a little bit of that but it's mostly about like these uh this guy gets killed by like uh a like a tractor or something or maybe it was a guy working a tractor and uh this and he was married to this woman uh who's might might get his land i think and then her friends come one of them is sharon stone it's her screen debut i mentioned ernest borgnine though plays like this kind of patriarch in this it's weird though, like they use the term Hittites, but I thought that was like a group from like the Mesopotamian era or it something. Is. Yeah, you're right. I think they were misusing it. I think there's a different form of Amish, or maybe, they... or maybe it was just a slightly different word that. Yeah, something like that. that you may not have recognized. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I this movie mostly was kind of dull for me. Um, there are a couple of effective spook scares in it. Uh, if you aren't if you don't like uh, big spiders or tarantulas, uh, this might freak you out a bit. Uh, Ernest Borgnine, of course, is great when he's on screen. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine is always great, even when he's in crappy stuff. Yeah, well, in this, I wanted more of him because he was like this guy who was just such a hard-ass, uh, uh, you know, fa- patriarchal figure. But I feel like Wes Craven didn't know how to use him enough. So oh, time. Oh well. Uh, he didn't go beyond the deadly blessing. That's the problem. I'm going to just keep on saying things are beyond. If you want to go beyond your necessary amount of work, rate us on iTunes. <laughs> All right. All right, my turn. All right, go. The Raid, Redemption. Okay. Um. Yeah, this is uh the Gareth 
Gareth Evans. Yes. Directed Ga- by Gareth Evans. Yeah, this is known for um, lots of ass-kicking. Yes. I've I've only known this as a trailer. I watch this trailer every once in a while and want to see something exciting. Yeah, because it has the- all the awesome parts in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is... I'm not sure how to think of th- about this movie, because... I mean, look, it, it I think for off- me, it's it, I, do, I don't really watch this movie per se for story, even though I think it has one. I'm it watching it for I'm watching it because you're seeing people brutally beating the crap out of each other. But and in the beginning, if you're talking about story, it's great. It's like you see a guy. There is he's setup. Tra- he's he's doing some training. He kisses his pregnant wife goodbye, and he goes to work in the, uh, as a police officer. Cut to the van. They're getting ready for this raid. Yeah. There. Okay. I know what I need to know. Yeah. They explain what they're, who they're trying to get. They go in the building. Mm-hmm. And from there on, it's pretty brisk. Yeah. And uh, they get up to the middle, and there are some pretty brutal, very, uh, very uh, exciting fight yeah. scenes. Yeah. We, sh- we, should then- mention, we should mention that it's all about, like, these guys are going into a, a giant apartment complex uh, to do this raid, but the entire, the inhabitants of the building are basically going to fight back. Right. In large part. And it's about them trying to fight to survive, which is great. And then it gets into the middle and it kind of slows down a bit. But then it and picks then there's up a big again. fight scene in the, towards the end that really goes on for far too long. <laughs> I do remember, like, there's some that that can be get a little bit brutal. Um, right, but it's not even that it's brutal. It's just like it goes on to, uh, to a point where it's like, all right, guys, let's let's wrap this up. We know who's gonna win this one. Yeah. And uh, uh, it didn't. It didn't hold its energy and its tight pacing throughout. That first half is really good. The second half kind of just meh. Time. Um, I forget. Did you see Dread? No. All right. If you ever watch that, let me know what you think. Because I, I had an experience where, um, just as a side note, I, I saw the Raid Redemption like days before, just a few days before I saw Dread, and it kind of affected how I saw Dread. Because it has almost the exact same setup, and it was like, wow, I, I'm I like this much better in the raid. <laughs> I don't know, I liked it a little bit simpler and all that. And, and I know I am so in a minority because the dread is like so beloved among comic book movie fans, and well, I you could, you and could... I, I don't hate dread the the, the new one with. Uh, uh, Carl Urban. Urban, but I, but I, I just, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't see what the fuss is. Yeah. Yeah, but that happens. It still may be better than the raid. You could be right. That's, that's true. That's true. Um, okay. So I think, does that do it for all the movies for you? Nope. I got one more. Okay, great. So, but I will continue with myself. Ready, set, go. Um, Steve McQueen, the man and Le Mans. Uh, Okay, or Le Mans. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Um, so you've seen a few Steve McQueen movies here and there. Right? Yeah. The Great Escape. Um, Magnificent Seven. Which I still need to see. Um, you know. The Blob. Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah, he is in The Blob. That's right. Um, Papillon. Oh, yeah, Papillon. Yeah, which I talked about on an episode, which I like I like that movie a lot. Um, Bullet. Yeah. This movie, though, is... Uh, what's interesting about this, this is one of those... At least in part, uh, a movie about a movie being made. Uh, Le Mans is... uh, And I actually didn't know anything about this movie. I thought it actually didn't really happen. So I thought that this was another, you know, movie that was in production and didn't get finished type of story. The Thomas Um, Brown Affair. 
Um, yeah, but he's in that. Okay, stop listing off movies. Let me talk about the movie. Okay. Um, so this documentary looks at what happened when Steve McQueen, who was super ultra passionate about race car driving, wanted to make his race car movie. And the thing was in Le Mans in France, they have like a 24-hour race car race. They're like drivers just have to keep going on and on. And so it looked, you know, the movie would be about that. Like, you know what? But the problem was for him, he went to this production. He got John Sturgis, who did Magnificent Seven and Grey Escape, but he didn't have a script. He didn't really seem to care about that. All he cared about was racing. <laughs> and he cared much more about his driver. And he's like, ah, well, well, we started, we started Magnificent, no, not Magnificent, we started The Great Escape without a script. We'll be fine. And it turned into like a disaster. Like, John Sturgis <laughs> walked off the movie. Um, he was having sex with like women left and right. Um, I, I wish it had been a little bit more about the actual making of the movie here and there. It kind of drifted into more about Steve McQueen, the King of cool. And, but it's still good. You know, for Dime. me, this is catnip. You're here, folks. Catnip. You heard it's here, not folks. just for cats. Jack is a giant cat. I guess. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So one more movie for Mr. Andrew here. Um, Dr. Andrew. Oh, are you a doctor now? Doctor, doctor, please. All right, go. The Big Easy with Dennis Quaid. Okay. Have you? Do you know this movie? I. It's funny. I think I might have it on video, but I have not watched it. Uh, the Big Easy is basically a police drama that takes place in New Orleans. Uh-huh. Uh, Dennis Quaid is a police detective. Uh, in the middle of what's in the middle of a gang war, mm-hmm. uh, there are drugs involved, lots of assassinations. John Goodman has a small role in it. Right. Uh, I don't take in many police dramas. Okay. So this, I think, impressed me. It's pretty much evenly, evenly cut between the mystery of the of what what's going on, the crimes. And the, and Des Quaid's relationship with the uh, sort of district attorney. Mm. It's kind of like it, so, it's it's kind of like half romantic comedy, half crime movie. Oh, it's a romantic comedy. I, I thought but this was not, like but I thought not, this was, but it's not a romantic comedy. Yeah, I thought it's this like, was like a film those, noir. If you took those two together, you would have the Big Easy. It's a police drama. Okay. Uh, and this actually has, interestingly enough, an appearance by Jim Garrison. Oh, of of JFK. Yeah. <laughs> He plays a judge. Yeah, pretty, pretty. That's uh, pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. So it's set in Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah, because he was the <laughs> DA in New Orleans. So that's... yeah. But it's a, uh, pr- it's pretty interesting. I had a lot of fun watching it. It was uh, it... back when Ellen Barkin was one of the sexiest women alive, man. Yeah. Yeah, she was good. I mean, she's also in Sea of Love. If you ever see that. Yeah. Uh, but it does have uh, it does have a good '80s cliche before this cliche was played up for laughs. Okay. The running and jumping away from the explosion. <laughs> Has that ever not been a cliche though? I don't know. The way they do it in this one, it seems like it comes from a more innocent time. So, but you're meant to take it seriously. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I difference? didn't find it too bad though. All right, time. All right, that's enough for me. All right, that's enough for Andrew. Get out of here! No, I'm kidding. All right. Where are they? All right. Jack, you have a marathon. All right, time for the marathon. And then, we, actually, we'll, uh, you and I will return for one movie at the end, but we'll get to that later. People, you might as well start watching a movie now yourself, because by the time you finish that movie, Jack will probably still be going. Yeah, So, or at least you can bring up a, a short or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Ready, set, go. 
All right, predestination. Um, this is the weirdest time travel movie I have ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, of course, with time travel, you get a sticker. Yeah, put on your copy of the of the of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So in the way that's weird, um, how to describe it? Okay, you've seen Futurama. Of course. Okay. I was just checking. All right. You remember when Fry, you know, he goes back in time and uh, by some kind of interesting paradox, he becomes his own grandfather? Yeah. That episode was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. I think it won an Emmy. That was a great episode. Um, Imagine that, but even weirder. (laughs) Um, Now, it doesn't start off that way. Actually, the first half of this movie, it really brings you in because basically it's Ethan Hawke. He's working in the early 70s in a bar. And this uh, guy comes in, but and he starts off. He, you know, Ethan Hawke's like, "Why don't you tell me a story?" And if you convince me, I'll give you this bottle of hooch. And he says, and he starts off with, "When I was a little girl." And Ethan Hawke goes, "What?" And, and this guy tells a story about how he was actually a girl once, and um, you know, grew up in like an orphanage, and uh, went on to get kind of recruited. Like she was the smartest in her class, got recruited into a, like what was supposed to be like an astronaut program. Uh, for women, uh, didn't get in, one thing led to another, and then it turned out, oh wait, uh, he's actually a she, or she was like a hermaphrodite. Um, Again. Yeah, <laughs> but Ethan Hawke then kind of brings up, like, what if, you know, because he got, uh, it's, uh, some of this is so complicated. Yeah, I should... This sounds pretty dense. Sorry. Right. Right. To, to so get to what happened. Ten seconds left. Just ten? Yes. Oh, so... Go see this movie because Ethan Hawke is great in it. Sarah Snook is the woman. Uh, just see it. It's so mind-bending. It's so good. Oh, I only have two minutes. <laughs> I have to remember where I just said that word. Um, yes, and if you see Predestination, please let me know what I, what you think at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Okay, let's because go Because we really want to know. I, I want to know what people think of this movie. Oh, All man. Right. Next one. Ready, set, go. Uh, the Intouchables, not the Untouchables. Intouchables. This sounds like the porn version of the Intouchables. It should. No, this is a French movie. Uh, I had heard about this for a while. It's actually been in the IMDb top 250, like in the top 50 for years. Huh. Um, it's this French movie about this. Uh, it's a kind of like a culture clash type of thing, I guess. Uh. This guy who uh, he uh, this guy is uh, paralyzed, both arms and legs, and he needs someone to take care of him. And uh, you know he's just kind of he's this rich guy who I guess inherited f- uh, wealth or something. And this guy, this uh, black guy, comes in for this interview, and he doesn't even expect to get the job. He just needs someone to sign like a piece of paper saying I went in for this interview. But somehow his he men- says something that impresses this guy. And, you know, he, he, despite all the other people applying, he gets the job. Um, you know, so then you get this guy is all about, like, I want to dance to Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Cool in the Gang and stuff like that. And he's more like, I'm going to listen to my Schubert and Bach and all that stuff. <laughs> and so, again, you know, a bit of a culture clash type of story. Um, it's kind of charming. The the actor who plays uh, uh, this black guy, he's actually now in a lot of Hollywood movies. He was in X-Men Days of Future Past in a small role, Jurassic World. Uh, you'll know if he you played see him. a raptor. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love it as much as, like, it, again, this is, like, one of the, like, this beloved movie, apparently, 
in France. It was like one of their biggest hits like ever. And it was cute. You know, it was fine. It's mostly about the friendship between these two guys that develops. And it's genuine enough that they have good on-screen sort of friendly chemistry. There's like kind of a subplot where he's trying to ask a woman out on a date. And it's kind of just, eh, time. Okay. Yeah. And in French, it is just called Intouchables. Not Le Intouchable or something. I don't know. Okay. Intouchable. There you go. All right. Never took a lesson in my life. All right. <clears throat> love, love Big Mac. No. Uh, Dead of Night. Um, so this is the... So is this a crime film or a horror film? This is from 1945 England, a British horror anthology film. Uh, you might have actually seen a clip of it. Uh, it was featured in uh, The Perfect's Guide to Cinema when Zizek talks about... Uh, the uh, one with the ventriloquist? Yeah, so that yeah. is that's kind of like the main last centerpiece movie. Um, I almost wish that whoever wrote this movie, um, you know, if this had been if these episodes had been in like the Twilight Zone era, like this precedes the Twilight Zone by almost twenty years, these would be like classic Twilight Zone episodes, hmm. um, or at least a couple of them are. Like, you know, when you get an anthology film, sometimes some episodes are stronger than others. Here are the two strongest episodes. There's one that involves this uh, married couple who buy this uh, mirror, or they get this old mirror where the, every time the guy looks in it, he sees this different room, and it starts to make him go insane. And, uh, you know, like, he, he gets to the point where... It's not know, symmetrical! No, but, no, but it, he sees, like, a fireplace and all this other stuff that's not there. And, you know, his wife needs to be there with him to try to calm him down. But then, like, he's going to get to the point where he kills his wife, possibly, from looking at this mirror. And, of course, then the ventriloquist dummy story is just phenomenal. That's where Michael Radford is this ventriloquist. And, you know, the classic thing of the dummy who has a mind of its own, so yeah. to speak. And, you know, is, you know, talk mouthing off to people, even though it's like, wait, what? Um... There, there's one segment involving like a golf ghost or something, and that's kind of weak. It tries to inject humor in a movie that doesn't need it, but when it comes to ghosts and ghost telling, this is top of the pops. Time. Yeah. Dead of night. Pops opera. Mm-hmm. From the same studio that brought us uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, by the way. So very the British. Studio that brought you. From the studio that brought you the movie Dead of Night, the actor Michael Radford. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're when you do that voice, you sound like when uh, Gorley does. Yeah. Okay. Go. So I'm gonna do two movies in two minutes. Go. The Fly and Return of the Fly with Vincent Price. All right. Okay. I so, have not seen these flies. Yeah. Well, you should have. They're buzzing around your head right now. <laughs> the fly, the fly. Okay. So in the first, you know, now these are different than the fly with, you know, Jeff Goldblum. This, you know, that obviously was the improved version. These two have less body horror. <laughs> these are more about, you know, this, it's like a scientist. The first movie is a scientist, you know, finds a way to make teleportation, you know, or transport matter from one place to another. And accidentally, you know, he transports himself while a flies around so he gets the head of a fly and even though he can still he still has brain functions though like a human it's like it's a gradual thing you could still write on the chalkboard does it make sense um it was all right my biggest problem is that i expected more vincent price 
and he's basically kind of like bookends the movie. Mm. And basically most of the movie is just a big flashback. Then Return of the Fly really is with Vincent Price. This cuts. What's interesting is that the first, I don't know if I've ever seen this with another series where the first movie's in color and the second movie's in black and white. Yeah. And I kind of like it more in black and white. This one, you get, you know, the son of the doctor who kind of grows up son of and, and decides to use like his, even though he's not a scientist, he decides to use like his dad's company to make, uh, you know, another teleportation machine. And <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, there's kind of a hacky plot that happens because of like, I'm the guy who's going to sabotage your thing and take all the technology for myself. But again, I like the, there's more Vincent Price here. Vincent Price, you know, they can't get enough of him. Uh, there's more of, you know, half man, half fly guy. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I, so I guess between the two, I kind of like Return of the Fly more. But, you know, if, you're, if you like your 50s cheesy sci-fi, this is at the studio level. Time. Yeah. And uh, of course... Um, you ever hear the Misfits? Probably. No. Yeah. Well, they're they're a punk rock band. They actually have a song called "Return of the Fly," and it's like basically the song's just a minute and a half long, and all the lyrics are uh, "Return of the Fly" with Vincent Price. Return of the Fly. Yeah, Return of the Fly. Oh, thank the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord. That's the whole song. I love it. Why not? Yeah. Um. Ready. So let me just let me just let me just check my list here uh you know what you know what i have one more movie that i'll talk about actually for just a minute and then you and i have our last movie okay okay go this is actually a short film uh last days of coney island uh this coney is Coney island is no longer the paradise it used to be not quite no and especially not when uh this is kind of set um this is i i wanted to mention this even though it's a short film it's the first work from ralph bakshi in decades oh yeah yeah he actually kicked did a kickstarter to try make this little movie which he'd been trying to do for years on another level and decide you know what i'm just gonna do it myself and you could check it out now i think on vimeo uh it's only a couple bucks to rent um and uh it's it's full metal backsheet to say the least you know this is him without any studio interference uh again it's only 22 minutes long so uh, I mean, some of you might watch it and just go, what the hell am I watching? Because mm. it's basically wa looking at, uh, you know, a world set in the 60s, but it's very heightened and very crazy. Uh, lots of violence in this. Uh, lots of, over like, characters that you can you can kind of tell that they have, like, you can almost see the pencil lines, though, and I love that. Mm. I kind of miss seeing that in animation. Um, there's... I mentioned the violence. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things to say about this. My God. It's uh, it's just like you, you know, it, it's funny because, I mean, does it have a story? It kind of does. It follows two guys. One is a schlubby man who loves a, a girl. And then there's another guy who runs a freak show on Coney Island. And you see their rise and falls over time. Um, you know, it's brutal. Some of it's very brutal. Characters, you know get chopped up and kill each other in really manic ways, but that's animation. Uh, but you feel it, you know, things like Lee Harvey Oswald and Kennedy loom large. Cause Hey, it's the sixties, man. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. Time. <sighs> yeah. 
Uh, good for Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, I'm good. And now, and now he can die. Cause <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. He he should live. I'm sorry. Now we can kill I, him. I apologize, Ralph Bakshi. You know he's he's probably out there like yeah, well, you know I've said Terry Tunes and uh, you know Ralph okay. Bakshi. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you stick around despite Jack's death threats. No, I didn't threaten him. Okay, so and so now we're gonna talk about one last movie which Andrew and I saw together. And boy, do you think we can do this in two minutes? Do we need we more time? Alright, so let's do this. Should I set it? Go. Uh, Gem and the Holograms. Yeah, another movie which has made its way out of theaters. Yeah, I... Yeah, this made it... Well, it's it's gone, man. Oh, it's gone. Oh, man, it's so gone. Dead on arrival. One million dollars in its opening weekend? I, I read that's the worst opening ever. Well, one of them. Yes. Uh, for this kind of profile, too. And I'd say rightfully so, because this movie is, you know, it's lying to you. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, if you think, even if you're hoping for, like, a good kind of just rock and roll movie or something, well, or a pop music movie, you know, the the songs suck. But that's a whole other matter altogether. I mean... Now, here's the thing. I knew this was going to be bad. But you seem to enjoy it more than I expected. Yeah, because here's what happens. When you know that a movie is, like, when you hear that a movie is the worst thing ever... You go into it with really low expectations. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, those expectations can never be met. Yeah, exactly. So, I was expecting the worst movie ever. I got kind of a crappy movie, but certainly not the worst movie ever. Yeah. And it's different when you see things in a theater. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess so. Because you said the, mu the music was bad. I was really kind of carried by the musical moments. Uh, I mean, I would have been if it wasn't all, like hammering themes from the movie like yeah oh god it's like and the thing the problem with this movie there oh among many it like it crams all of the music movie cliches and it like jams them in into like like a turkey oh god like a turducken yeah it's like you know the rise and fall thing you know the fact that you know gem you know the, how she somehow betrays her friends, even though she doesn't really. Yeah. And then they resolve things so quick. The script is nonsense, but oh, I think the music was trash. The music garbage. was the high point. Eh, time. I don't know what the high point of that was. <laughs> Here's Jack's review. Man, 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 man. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Um, I should really get Corey to to give her two cents, but because uh, like I mean, basically this, what this she's could, this could be our new Bratz the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I think Bratz, though, that moved so much like faster though than this did in a way. It was pretty ostentatious. But oh, anyway. and by the and by the way, one last note. I know we're going over our two minute thing, but so many YouTube clips. Yeah, YouTube clips score part of this. Let movie. me just say this: I went into that movie. And they start. It starts off with YouTube clips, and there was a clip of a YouTube video I had watched on YouTube <laughs> just two hours before I went to see the movie. They knew you were going to see this movie. Yeah. All right, and that was the two-minute movie mile. And boy, oh boy, my arms tired, um, and my mouth, and I need to rest those things. As my Andrew butt's does. tired. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our list movies of uh, of this episode. <laughs> Oh! 